We are going to be in Matthew chapter 10, as I said, as Father, we come to you and we ask that, Lord, that you would touch our hearts with your word. And Father, we do come together in uncertain times. Even this week, as we've looked around us, it seems like it's getting crazier and more confusing and than ever before, but we do have certainty, and that is your word and your love for us and a salvation that is found in Christ Jesus. And Lord, um, we do pray as we maneuver through this pandemic, first of all, for those who are not able to join us because of health reasons and, and high risk, uh, we do remember them, and we just pray that, uh, Lord, that this virus, that you would diminish it and it would begin to get out of our lives and out of this land. And Lord, I pray for healing upon those who perhaps have it, that have it in our community, in our state, our nation, the world, our president. We pray for healing for him and the leaders of our nation that have been stricken by this virus. And Lord, I do pray that um, you, Lord, um, just continue to have mercy and grace on this place. Protect us as we do gather. And Lord, right now, as we set our hearts on you and to hear your word, that your word would be worked deep within our hearts. It's a reminder that the world is uh, not our friend, um, that the world's going to come against us as we are sent out into the harvest field. But Lord, there is blessing as we serve you. And there is the promise of your strength and wisdom and presence with us. And so, Lord, encourage us right now as we study your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as we've been going through this wonderful gospel of Matthew, of course, in chapter 9, as we opened up that chapter, that we have seen Jesus. He's teaching with great authority. He was teaching in a house where uh, he also is working through uh, and demonstrating great power and healing people. Six people healed in chapter 9. One of them was Jairus' daughter who was actually raised from the dead. And, and we know that the people are marveling as he's bringing healing to the people. He is teaching with great authority. Remember at the Sermon on the Mount that at the end of that teaching that the people were marveling at his teaching, the authority of his teaching, not as the scribes and the Pharisees. And so here he is in the Galilee region and multitudes are coming to him. And as he is teaching, as we ended chapter 9, that he went about teaching their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease disease among the people, but tens of thousands of people are coming into the Galilee region at this time. Great multitudes is what we read in the gospel narratives. And as Jesus looks out upon the multitudes, we end at chapter 9 with him, as we see Matthew records, he's moved with compassion. That is, he's moved in his heart, in his soul, towards the people that he's looking at, so many of them. Uh, because he cared for them. And he saw them as sheep that are wearied and scattered, as not having a shepherd. They're, they're tattered, they're hungry, they're beat up, they're, they're, they're just, um, you know, tattered and, and scattered all over the place. And here's the good sh shepherd that is among them. But it reminds us as we look out at the multitudes around us because we see what's going on in our culture, in our nation, around the world, don't we? Because it's all around us. It's on the news. It's in social media. We, we see the images all the time. 
But how does that affect our hearts? Are we moved with compassion? Because we know people personally that are linked to you in your life. We see people uh, around us that they don't have the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. And they are weary. And they are scattered. And we have a message that we are able to give to them to come to the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, who lays down his life for the sheep. And also, as he changes the metaphor, he changes it to a harvest field. And as we end at chapter 9, the harvest truly is plentiful. Not that it's going to be, but it is plentiful. And we need to keep that in mind. And pray for laborers uh, to go out into his harvest. And as we know that there is a harvest field out there, chapter 10 last time, that we saw that he would call the 12 and uh, he would commission them for ministry, the apostles, the sent out ones. And as we looked at those 12 sent out ones, they were, uh, we're going to see, are going to be given specific tasks and given a specific message to give. So they are called by Jesus, sent out by Jesus now, and they're going to be empowered by Jesus. As we read in, in verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of, of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at end. So keep in mind that, as he says, gives them instructions, first of all, that he says you're not going to go by the way of the Gentiles or to the cities of, Samarit, of the Samaritans. Samaria, that area in the middle of the country, we'll talk about Samaria and the Samaritans as we continue our study through Matthew, who they were and how they came about. But he's given them these instructions here in these 12. And last week, as we looked at these 12, I think it was uh, really um, important for us to look at them and to see that they were ordinary guys. They, in other words, weren't uh, super powerful and s super wealthy and, and the who's who of the nation. These guys were ordinary guys that God chose, Jesus chose here, to go out into the harvest field and, and to be called to do a powerful work of God. So you're to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, not to the Gentiles, not to the cities of Samaria. Tell, the kingdom of, tell them the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the good news. Verse 8, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely you shall give, as he tells them. And here's the thing. Jesus here, when Jesus calls them to ministry, to go out in the harvest field, he's going to empower them to minister to others. And as he calls us to go out into the harvest field, as he calls us to minister, to live for him, he's going to empower us to live a life for him and to serve him in whatever he has for us. And the reasons that we did take our time in looking at the 12 apostles last time, that we can see that God does use ordinary people like you and me to do an extraordinary work. And it is true what Paul would write to the Corinthian church, that he chooses the weak and the foolish things of the world and the things that are not to bring to naught the things that are, that no man glories in his presence. He does want to use you. He wants to use me, and he wants to use this church. And he desires for us to go out into a harvest that is plentiful right now in the days in which we are living in. And the thing that Jesus tells his disciples to do in verse 8 
Obviously, it's impossible for them to do unless they are divinely empowered by God. And the same power that was working in them is the same power that will work through us in what the Lord would have us to do. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. He will empower us to do what he's called us to do. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And notice that Jesus said, freely you have received, freely you shall give. The healing the sick, the casting out of demons, the raising the dead was not just to demonstrate God's power, but it was to help people. Those miracles that they would do, the miracles that we have seen in Matthew's gospel thus far, pointed to the mercy and the compassion of our Lord, that God does care about us. Do you realize that? He cares about you. And we can cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. He, he cared about the sick, those who were in bondage to the power of Satan. They were not to use the power of God given to them for selfish reasons or for personal gain. The servant of the Lord is to be one of humility, one of unselfishness, uh, not so that we can just have personal fame or be exalted or be in the limelight, but rather you go out. Uh, freely you have received, freely you shall give. And it is God's desire for us to live in that way so that we can be a blessing to others and, and bring healing, comfort, and, and just be able to a message of them being able to be freed from the world and the bondage and the lies of the enemies. So he continues to give them specific instructions. Verse 9, provide neither gold nor silver, nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. So as you go out, trust that I'm going to provide for you. And of course, uh, uh, over the years, that you've heard me say this, but where God guides, he provides. That has been a philosophy of ministry here at Calvary Chapel from day one. And these apostles were to trust God for their needs. They had received freely from the Lord. They were to then give freely. Don't take gold, silver, copper in your money belts. Don't, um, you know, fill your bags with, with food. In other words, don't take a lot of elaborate provisions or a bunch of extra stuff. Just the necessities. If you're going to do what I've called you to do, they needed to learn that God was going to take care of them. That the Lord was going to provide for them. I'll take care of you, I'll provide for you, and blessing will flow to you freely because you are given out freely. And it's an important lesson that I believe as Christians that we need to always be understanding and living in, to trust the Lord that he's going to provide for us. And I think over the last several months as we've been in this season of the pandemic, that we especially, that we've had to trust in the Lord to provide for us. Because we've had many people have lost their jobs or been furloughed or uh, all kinds of upheaval and changes. Even as a church, we've had to navigate through this pandemic and, and we are trusting the Lord to provide for us as we move forward. And if we have to cut back things, we cut things back. If we have to do without, then we'll do without. But I firmly believe that we are to remain in that place where God guides, he provides. I remember 25 years ago, it was 25 years ago this month, that Sue and I made the decision, we're going to sell our home, sell everything here in Colorado Springs, and we're going to move up to Greeley, and we're going to start a church. 
church. We're going to start Calvary Chapel. And as we did, we didn't have, you know, a, a, a support from a denomination or support from a, you know, uh, you know, organization. Uh, we had some people that gave us some gifts that we put into an account under Calvary Chapel, a little bit of money, a few hundred bucks. We moved up. We didn't know anyone. We knew John and Becca, and we knew a few other people, and we were just going to start a Bible study in our home. And you've heard me tell the story that when we first started, uh, I remember, those of you who've been around long enough, remember the old Hume Woods store that was over here? I went over there, and I bought a wooden stool, went over to, to Greeley Music, bought a $300 guitar, because that was the cheapest one I could buy. And I had a Bible. That's what we started with. And we've always lived in, where you God, guide, Lord, you're going to provide. And we just allow him to provide for us, even as we've come into this building, and even as we're going through this season. And I've told the guys that, you know, if, if things dry up, then we'll go out and we'll get jobs, whatever it may be. But we're going to trust in him, and we need to depend on him in everything. And I know that you've had to learn that as well. And, and I'll tell you this. It's not a bad place to be. It's a good place to be. I would rather be in that place of where we're depending on the Lord in everything. We're not depending on the size of buildings and budgets and how many people are coming. That's not our strength. Our strength is in the Lord alone. And to trust in him and to depend on him. I want to be in that place of, Lord, just we seek you. We, we want to just be in that place where you want us to be. And God is a big God. He's not broke. And we have opportunity to be able to give. And I appreciate those who are giving, especially in these tough times. But he says that I'm going to, to provide for you. And you need to remain in that place of just depending on the Lord. We don't ask for money here at Calvary Chapel. You have the opportunity to give. And remember in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus said, when you give, not if you give. So people ask, you know, what am I supposed to give? Is it a tithe? Is it, you know, what's the, the uh, recommendations? What's the guidelines given? Here's the New Testament guidelines. You are to give freely. You are to give willingly. And you are to give cheerfully. Wherever the Lord puts on your heart, you're to give freely, you're to give willingly, and you give cheerfully. And as you do, the Lord sees. And freely, as we have received, we want to give. And we want to give to others. We want to give out the word of God. We want to be a blessing to others. So I'm going to just uh, have you be in that place where you're depending on me, he says. Uh, you're not to demand anything, he says to these apostles. They were not to put a price on their work. They were to learn to be humble and content and satisfied when doing the work of the ministry. We continue reading in verse 12. And when you go into a household, greet it, and if the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. So focus on those who are receptive to the gospel. You leave your peace there. If they're not receptive, then you need to move on. You need to move forward. And whoever does not receive you nor hear your words, verse 14, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. And as surely I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in that day of judgment than for that city. So Jesus is telling them, don't waste enormous amounts of energy and resources on those who persist on rejecting your message of the kingdom of God. 
If they're not open, if they're not receiving of the blessing and of the gospel that has been brought to them, shake the dust off from your feet and move on. Now, we see this with Paul the Apostle when he came into the city of Corinth. In Acts chapter 18, as you read that, he comes into Corinth, and as he would customarily do, he would go to the synagogue. He, he would go there first if there was a synagogue in that city or in that village. So in Corinth, he goes to the synagogue, and as we read that those Jews there, as he's preaching Christ to them, that they opposed him. We read that they blaspheme. And so he shakes the dust off his feet. He shook his garments, and he says, you know what? I'm going to go next door to the Gentiles. I'm going to go to the Gentiles, and I'm going to give the message of the gospel to them. And that's what he does. Next to the, to the synagogue, he goes to the house of Gaius, and he goes there, and he begins to preach, and the church explodes, and people are getting saved. And so Paul, as he would move on, listen, this verse does not mean that when we witness to somebody or we're ministering to somebody that they don't receive the Lord, that we give up on them. We continue to pray. We continue to seek God's wisdom and direction and discernment and how to minister to them. But for those who are just digging in their heels and they are resistant, there's a time where, okay, I need to move on and I need to move on in what God would have me to do. And um, if, the Lord, you open up the opportunity for me to minister to them again, I certainly will be open to that, and I will be flexible, and I will be one that is sensitive to that as well. We've had people that have come here that sat in the sanctuary that their guards were up, and, and they were like, I don't know about this gospel stuff, and, but they would come, and they would listen, and, and they would be ones that would eventually come to the Lord. We've had that happen. They've sat for weeks, or they sat even for months, and then they made a decision for Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. Going back to the church at Corinth, um, you know, God still used that. As Paul would go to the Gentiles, he goes next door, and, and we also read that Crispus, who was the ruler of the synagogue, ended up getting saved. And I wonder, what was the difference? I imagine as, as Paul went next door to the synagogue and all of a sudden people are getting saved and people are coming. And all of a sudden Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, he's hearing the praises of God coming from there. He's seeing that those new believers have gladness of heart and joy and, and, and their countenance is one of, of great peace. It's not of religiousness and, and the law and, and the traditions. And I imagine that Crispus is sitting there going, those Christians over there. And he's listening to their praises. And he's seeing the people. And he sees the reality of Jesus in their lives. And it was irresistible. And he goes over there and he gets saved. What do people see when they come here? that perhaps they're cynical or perhaps they're hardened to the gospel. And what I hope and pray is what they see here is, is that we who have the praises of God and the peace of God and the joy of the Lord and the love of the Lord, that they see something of the reality of Jesus in this place. And it draws them to him. And we have opportunity to be able to do that. And you as well, your family, to others that are linked to you in your life. That as they see you and watch you, what do they see? What's your countenance? Do they see the gladness of God and, and the peace of God in your heart and that you have a song in your heart? 
And it goes such a long ways in, in ministering to others. But here Jesus, he says to them, hey, you know, don't argue or debate endlessly with those who are going to have a, a, a firm decision that made up their minds to resist the gospel, but shake the dust off your feet and direct your attention elsewhere. And then Jesus makes an interesting statement here, and that is, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in, in the judgment than for that city. And we know from the book of Genesis, that story, that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah with, with fire and brimstone. And today there's no trace of those ancient cities. So Jesus saying, you who reject the gospel are bringing judgment upon yourselves. In verse 16, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Interesting, isn't it? So I'm sure as he begins to give them specific instructions in going out, I called you to go out into the harvest field. You're my apostles sent out ones. And you're going to go out and you're going to demonstrate great power. You're going to heal the sick. You're going to even raise the dead. You're going to free the demoniacs. And I'm sure they're going, yeah, you know, that's great. Can't wait to get out there. You know, this is going to be awesome. And then he goes, you know, I'm going to provide for you. And you're going to go into to the city. Some are going to reject you. But here Jesus is going to begin to tell them the reality of going out into that harvest field that you and I need to understand as well. And he begins to tell them that you're going to be going out to a place that is dangerous. And, and it, it's the same with you and me because the world is not going to be friendly to us. The world isn't going to applaud us as we come to Christ. And I think that as Christians that we need to get that settled. Um, that the world opposes us. And we're going to see that Jesus is going to continue to talk about that to even where he's going to talk about that they're going to be persecuted and handed over and they're going to be scourged. And, and I'm sure they're thinking, wow, I don't know if I want to sign up for this. But here he says you're going to be sheep that is going to be in the midst of wolves. Now, we have wolves that have come into Colorado. A pack has been established and, and is very controversial because wolves, they devour. They, they kill. They, they kill deer. They kill antelope. They kill elk. You know, that's how they eat. That's how they survive. And uh, when the wolves came into Yellowstone in 1994, that was a big concern. And, of course, as they have spread. And one of the, the controversies that is right now in Colorado is they will go after, you know, cattle. They'll go after sheep. But that's a, a debate for another time in another setting. But wolves do devour. And I've been in the Lamar Valley. I've talked about this before in Yellowstone with the kids. And we've watched the wolves. And I'll tell you what, that they are ones that they can take down a large elk. They can take down a bison. That's what they eat. They're meat eaters. And it's, it's a place where you're there thinking, man, if you're an elk or a bison or a deer, this is a dangerous place. If you put a little sheep out there in the Lamar Valley, it wouldn't last more than few minutes that it would be devoured you and I are in a place where it, it is dangerous you're sheep in the midst of wolves but the Lord doesn't leave us there and as he continues instructing them he, he says that you be wise as serpents you be harmless as doves you be wise as a serpent they have no arms no legs but they're able to get around and know how to live in extreme difficult surroundings Rocky places and barren and hot places. And you are to be gentle as doves. And for me, I got that underlined. 
People are to see that we have a gentle, godly spirit in us. You're not to forcibly to oppose the enemy. Sometimes as Christians, when we see the things around us and what's going on, we can get very angry and we begin to lash out and we go into attack mode. Sometimes on live radio, when I'm on the radio, there are those who call and immediately, man, they're in attack mode. This is like, take a deep breath, okay? But we are to have that gentle spirit. Yes, we stand for truth. And yes, we are to warn. We're to be watchmen on the wall. We'll talk about that in Ezekiel when we move into Ezekiel on Wednesdays. But all these things that, that we are to pray through um, and, you know, we are to be ones as we're to be wise know that we're in a world that is dangerous but we're to be harmless as doves and uh, doves are not a threat to other animals uh, you're to be harmless and innocent let your the lord be your defense he continues as we read on in verse 17 be uh, but beware of men for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Now the religious leaders and others, governors and kings, they will come against you. They will persecute you. And in that persecution that comes to you, there will be an opportunity for you to proclaim my name. You will be my representatives. And may we understand as Christians that when we do believe in the Lord, and I think that most of us, if not all of us, know this to be true, that when we stand for the Lord, that there is going to be those who will come against us, they will ridicule us, they will come down on us, and we will be persecuted for our belief in Jesus Christ. Paul, some of the last things that he wrote in the New Testament before he was put to death was those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Not that you might suffer persecution, but you will. We will suffer some sort of persecution to some degree. And we in that have the opportunity to be a testimony of the reality of God in our lives and the work of God and the provision of God. And Jesus says, I will be with you in that hour that you need my strength and my word and my wisdom. We see that in the early church that they would stand before the religious council, those apostles. Uh, we know that uh, as uh, in Acts chapter 4, they arrested the apostles, uh, the Sanhedrin council, the Jewish Supreme Court. They said to those apostles, quit preaching the name of Jesus. You filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Wouldn't that just be wonderful if that accusation was uh, given to us? Calvary Greeley, you filled you know, Greeley, Northern Colorado with your doctrine. That is the doctrine of the gospel. Amen? How about in your home, in your neighborhood, at your workplace? But as they threatened them, it was the apostles that boldly said, listen, we're going to continue to do what God's called us to do. We're going, we are going to be obedient to God over being obedient to men. And they would also say that the things that we have seen and heard, we're going to continue to declare them. We know in Acts chapter 7 that Stephen would be brought before that same council. And, and Stephen, the first Christian that's recorded in the book of Acts, being martyred for Jesus Christ, he would give his testimony uh, and he would then be taken out and he would be stoned. 
We know that the one that was holding the coats for the ones doing the stoning would be later on called Paul the Apostle, Saul of Tarsus. And he persecuted the church, but then he would be, of course, um, radically changed his conversion on the road to Damascus. After his conversion, he was told very specifically that you're going to be a testimony of me before kings and Gentiles and the children of Israel. And we see that happen with Paul. Paul would be arrested in Jerusalem as you read the book of Acts in chapter 21. To the end of the book, he goes through a series of legal trials, and he would give testimony to the governor Felix and Festus uh, before King Agrippa in the amphitheater there in Caesarea. He would appeal to Caesar. He would then go to Rome where he's under house arrest for two years and he would write the prison epistles and he would stand before the emperor of Rome. And I'm sure that Paul would witness to Caesar Nero because he witnessed everybody, right? And he would give a testimony of Jesus Christ. He would be released, and then about five years later, he would be rearrested as he is thrown in a dungeon, and he would stand before Caesar Nero again. So Paul was one that he gave the testimony of Jesus before kings, before governors. And, and here is interesting as we read this. And let me tell you first what it does not say here. Because I've heard a few Bible teachers that say, well, I don't really prepare for Bible study because uh, the Lord will give me that hour what I should speak and the Holy Spirit, you know, the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you, and I just kind of go with it. Uh, It's not talking about that at all. Not talking about being lazy and preparing for teaching or Bible study. And whether that's whether you're teaching the children or discipleship discipleship group or youth or whoever it might be, that we are to be ones, as Paul would write to Timothy, and he said to them that, Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God, uh, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That I want to be led by the Lord. I, I want to be moved by the Lord. I don't want to just be all academic and, and, um, and all of that. I want to be sensitive to the leading, but there is preparation. And I want to make sure that the Bible study that, that you hear, that I've done everything that I can to prepare for it and then pray through it and then commit the rest to the Lord. And so this is a, a text telling those disciples and those apostles that in the context of persecution, the Lord's going to be with you. And, and he's going to help you. And he's going to speak through you and give you words uh, to speak and the wisdom that you need during that time. But let's continue in verse 21. Now, brother will deliver up brother to death and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. So in your persecution for my namesake, it will involve the betrayal even of family members. Brothers will deliver his brother. Father will deliver his son, son his father. We know that elsewhere that is recorded that Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword to divide father against son and mother against daughter. And there is that division that comes. And many of you have experienced that firsthand because you come to Christ that you have had relationships, family relationship, friends or whoever that have been strained or severed because you believe in Jesus Christ. And it is painful. It is hard, isn't it? It is difficult. And that's why I want to reiterate once again, it is so important that this is a place that you can come 
and feel as a part of the family of God. Because many of you have gone through the pain and the hurt of family members that have said, we don't want anything to do with you. We have parents that don't see their children or their grandchildren because they're believers in Christ. Or we have children that their parents want nothing to do with them. Or other family members or friends, and and there's hurt in that. And may this be a place, Calvary Chapel, where you can come and you know that you belong to the family of God because the world is difficult out there. And the world does come against us, and those relationships become severed and strained that, that come into our lives, that this is a place where we're going to be encouraged and prayed for and uplifted and built up, that you say, yes, I belong. I got the family of God, my brothers and sisters in Christ. And here as he continues, he says, and when they persecute you in this city, flee to another, for surely I say to you that you will have... Um, that you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Kind of an interesting verse, uh, in some ways kind of difficult. Some are thinking, what exactly does Jesus mean by this? Well, because Jesus here is speaking of persecution after he instructs them, remember I told you, keep in mind, he says, don't you know, only head out to the lost sheep of Israel. Uh, we see the sending out of the 12 in Mark's Gospels, chapter 6, I believe, Luke chapter 9. Even in Luke chapter 10, we see Jesus sends the 70 out, two by two. And we read that he gave them much of the same instructions. Hey, go to, to the house of Israel, Matthew or Mark 6, Luke chapter 9. Don't carry money bag. Um, those who accept you, may there be peace to that house. Wipe the dust off your feet for those who don't receive you. And when the 70 come, comes back, even as they went out, that it says that they came back with joy. They said, we work miracles. Even the demons were subject to us. So in this first short-term mission of the 12 here, that we know there's no record that they were persecuted in the way that Jesus is des- describing here, or the 70 In verse 18, Jesus speaks of persecution that would come by the Gentiles. Clearly, that's indicated. But they're not going to go to the Gentiles. There's no record that they were delivered up to be scourged. So Jesus, I believe, is talking about a future persecution that would come to them. It would come to them in the early church. It would come to them in the church age because we know that Christians have been persecuted through the church age clear up until this day. Millions of Christians have been put to death. Many have been arrested. And we know that today that persecution is on the increase with Christians. Do you realize the fastest growing church today in the world is in Iran? It's the fastest growing church. But also they are being persecuted. You don't always hear about it here. That there are those who are being arrested and they're being put in prison and they're being even put to death. And we hear those stories once in a while. The sources that are coming out of Iran. But yet the Christians are so dedicated, they're so committed to the Lord, and we need to be praying for them. You know, in Iran, you don't have freedom of speech. If you say something against Islam or you say something against the mullah, you're going to go bye-bye, and you're not going to be seen again. So they're facing that. In North Korea, in parts of Africa, I remember being in Sudan a few years ago, back in, I think, the last trip. It was more than a few years, 2008. And before that, it was during the war in Sudan. 
And ministering to the chaplains of the Southern Sudanese Army, they were the most persecuted Christians at that time as that was taking place. And then the Christians were being heavily persecuted by uh, the heavily Muslim Sudan up north and South Sudan were the Christians. And hearing their testimonies of those chaplains and the people, homes being burnt, uh, families being kidnapped, family members being killed, I think, wow, how incredible. And their faith was so strong. They, they were so bold, and, and their faith was so real. It really touched me, you know, and, and what they went through, the persecution and all of that, hearing that firsthand. Here I come back, and I get, you know, all upset because somebody didn't like the color, you know, the room that we painted or something. So here he says persecution is going to happen, and I believe that we have seen it, but also the future implications of it because Jesus... When he was uh, giving them the teaching in all of it discourse that we will see in Matthew chapter 24, one of the signs that he said that's going to happen is that many will be betraying one another and hate one another, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So I believe that here in verse 23, it does have really prophetic application. We know the time's going to come where the ultimate betrayal is going to take place in the tribulation period. That there are going to be the Christians that are going to be heavily persecuted when the Antichrist, as 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, goes into the temple of God to be worshipped as God that he's going to proclaim himself as God, and anyone who does not make their allegiance to him, anyone who does not uh, take his, his mark, are going to be heavily persecuted. He's going to persecute the Jews that reject him, and he's going to persecute the tribulation saints. Matter of fact, Revelation chapter 13 tells us that he makes war with the saints, and then he will prevail against them. So they're going to be beheaded, the Christians. So that's the ultimate betrayal that we will see in the tribulation period. Here's the good news. I don't believe the church is going to go through the tribulation period. I believe firmly that the scripture shows us that we will be taken out of and away from the hour of tribulation that shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. That we're going to be raptured before that final seven-year period that brings the second coming of Jesus Christ. So we've talked about that in detail. So we're still in the church age, but I also believe that as we get closer to the rapture of the church, that we could see persecution here in America against you and me. I pray for revival. I pray for a great awakening. I pray that we turn back to the Lord, but I also know that that could come through persecution. I also know that, that the movement that we're seeing now and the direction we're going is m being more hostile towards Christians. So we need to make a decision if we're going to stand for the Lord and stand firm for the Lord to understand and to know that it's going to bring some hardship and it could bring difficulty. But we are to trust in him and to look to him for everything. So here, as he says, that a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. Uh, Jesus would say to his disciples that the world hated me first. They're going to hate you. And then he says to them, it is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher, verse 25, and a servant like his master. If they have called the master to house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? And therefore, do not fear them 
them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Listen, you don't belong to the world. Do you know that? You do not belong to this world. And John writes, you're not to have a love for the world. We love those in the world. Certainly we do. But we're not to have a love for the world. And we don't belong to the world. We belong to a kingdom that lasts forever. And so the world is going to hate us and call us names and come against us. And as I've already said, the world's not going to applaud you because you're a Christian. But we are told that we are to trust in him, continue to give a testimony of him, continue to minister to others, be a light to others, and know this, that he will strengthen us, he will provide for us, and that he will take us home to be with him. He said earlier in Matthew that blessed are those who are persecuted. For theirs is the kingdom of God, and great reward will come. But what I hope and pray for us is that we understand as we go out into the harvest field, it is glorious, it is wonderful, but also there's going to be those who are going to resist us. But we're going to look to him, amen? And we know that this is the worst it gets for us. Do you know that? This is the worst that it gets. We have a glorious future. We have heaven that awaits us. We're all going to go home. We're going to have dinner with the Lord. Then we're going to come back with him. In the second coming, we're going to rule and reign with him. And then we're going to live in a new heaven, new earth, and a new Jerusalem. That's reality, folks. Isn't that wonderful? That helps me. I need to keep that in mind, especially in these crazy days that we're going through and the uncertainty, that you and I have certainty. And so I want to be a voice of truth and of the gospel to those around us. Because he talks about it's going to be worse, like Sodom and Gomorrah, for those who reject. Judgment is going to come. And that's a part that we don't always like to think about. But it is true. Eternity is at stake here. And we want to care enough about people that we're willing to give them the truth, stand on the truth. And if we take the hits, we take the hits. But Lord that I'm just going to entrust you with everything in my life. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for these words. And they're not always easy to read, but as we make application, we know that you desire to, to work in our lives and to use us as we go out into the harvest field that's plentiful. And, Lord, um, that we would just trust you in your provision, in your wisdom, in your strength. And, Lord, to be a testimony of your truth and love and light in the darkness that is around us. Father, I do want to pray if there is anyone that you're here or in the coffee shop or listening online or the radio later, you've never made a decision for Christ. He loves you. He went to the cross to die for you, for your sins. And he is your salvation. A church can't save you. Trying to be good won't save you because none of us are good enough. It is coming to faith in Jesus Christ and understanding this, that he went to die on the cross for your sins because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is a gift as you come in faith and call on the name of the Lord for forgiveness, to ask him to sit upon the throne of your heart as Lord and Savior, to repent, to surrender. Listen, this world is a false hope and it will leave you empty and it will leave you deceived and in darkness Jesus wants to bring life and light to you and freedom to you 
and salvation. Will you make a decision for Jesus if you've never done that? And you can pray, Lord, I come to you, and I believe, Jesus, you died on the cross for me. I believe that you're alive, speaking to me right now. Forgive me of my sins. And I ask that you sit upon the throne of my heart as my personal Lord and Savior. And I do want to know you and walk with you. Lord, I thank you for bringing me into the family of God and bringing me into right relationship with the Father. I want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. For all of us, that as we leave this place, going out into the harvest field, that we be sensitive to your your leading, Lord, and that you would strengthen us in every way in the days in which we're living in, knowing that you desire to use us and provide for us to strengthen us. I pray that you would help us to just trust in you and everything, your provision. Bless everyone here as we go our way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.